Well, good morning again. It's good to see you all. Thanks for gathering here this morning and uh, for bringing the church into uh, a YMCA. If I've not had the opportunity to meet you, my name is Jamie. It's my great joy and privilege to serve here as one of the pastors at Cross Point. We'd love the opportunity to get to meet you after the service if we've not been introduced before. Um, excited this morning, we are diving into a brand new series called The Light of the Gospel, and it is a study in the great book of 2 Corinthians. So as, although I'm excited, on the one hand, I'm also, th- this day also pains me a little bit. There's a, a bit of sadness with this day because for 43 years, I've been waiting for the Detroit Lions to actually be in the Super Bowl, and that is not happening once again. All right, but I'm gonna get through it. But in all seriousness, really glad that you are here, excited to get into this. But before we do, I want to call your attention to something um, that we introduced last week and just make sure you're in the loop on this. I know sometimes you might have been out or serving in our kids' ministry, things like that, and may not have gotten the info on this. But our Mishpat Project 2020 for this year, Mishpat is this Hebrew word for justice, like the right ordering of things. And so we have this incredible opportunity. You can read all about it. I'm not going to give all the details right now, but go to Mishpat Project. Project.com. It'll take you there, or you can always get it by going to cpwp.life, and you'll find the card there. But it's an opportunity for us to plant a church in a developing nation, to care for those that are oftentimes overlooked, under-resourced, marginalized of society, and to extend the global reach of the gospel. And to do all of this, is it costs $75,000 that we are seeking to raise as a church, all right? But the beautiful thing is we have an outside donor doing a match of three to one. And so for us to raise just under $19,000 will actually enable us to do this, to plant a church, to see a, a community development center for, for kids in somewhere maybe Central or South America, the gospel being extended. We're so excited about this. Uh, the last, or, sorry, like three weeks from now, February 23rd is we're asking for a commitment Sunday. So make sure you go there. Let us know if you got any questions. Go to mishpotproject.com. You'll find all the info there. All right. Now, this morning, as we get into 2 Corinthians, I want us to think through this, the light of the gospel. But if we're going to talk about light, the reality is this, that sometimes, if we're honest, we do feel a, a darkness, right? Have you, have you felt that? Maybe you felt that this week, that there's this darkness sort of closing in. Maybe it's even inexplicable, right? Like you just kind of feel it internally, all right? And you're just, maybe it's some sort of existential angst or something that's going on. And you're just like, man, I kind of feel like I just, I can't see the light, that I'm discouraged, I'm overwhelmed, I've got anxiety, maybe you feel that. Maybe there are things that are you know, um, external that you can kind of point to and you're like, man, this, this situation is not going well now. It's causing all these internal things, right? That sometimes we have things that we can point to and say that's contributing to this. Sometimes we don't even know where to pinpoint it. But regardless, I believe this, that in this gymnasium here this morning, as this body of people that that have gathered, if we were to sit down and have a conversation, we would all have things in our life, whether we're willing to admit it or not, all right, would be another story, but we would all, if we were honest, have things where we'd be like, man, I don't know what to do in this situation. I do feel darkness closing, and I'm wondering where God is in the midst of it. And one of the things I love about the whole Bible, all right, certainly, but even in particular, this book of 2 Corinthians, it's written by the Apostle Paul. We'll talk about him more in a moment. But there's a level of just brutal honesty in this book. In fact, it jumps around to different topics and things, and it's, it's like this raw, sort of emotive response of this pastor, Paul, who has this care and concern for a group of people, and he's just laying it all out there. He's just like, here's the darkness I feel. Here's the difficulty, and yet it keeps coming back over and over and over again to the light of the gospel. In fact, we'll get to this in, in a few weeks, but 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, it was in the video a moment ago, gives us these words, for God who said, 
And that's what we're gonna see this morning as we start out, all right? This book, it points us to God. It points us to Jesus. It's a story about God's redemptive work in the darkness. For God who said, and this is a reference to Genesis chapter one, let light shine out of darkness. That you and I this morning, we feel darkness, but know this, there's a God who is ruling and reigning right now who speaks a word and tells us that light shines out of darkness. And then it says this, but not just in a nebulous sort of generic sort of out there world sense, but it gets very particular and it gets very specific. And here's where you and I need to know this and be encouraged in this and come back to this again and again and again. It says this, has shown in our hearts. So picture that, the God of the universe, it's like he's got a flashlight and he's shining into your heart specifically. All the things that you carry here this morning, he's shown in our hearts to what? To give the light, of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, that we're made for the presence of God, the glory of God, and the only way we're gonna get there is through the life, death, and resurrection of King Jesus. So in the face of Jesus Christ, the one who showed up on the scene, who lived the life we're called to live, all of that. And so there's this great encouragement. So here's what I wanna put before you this morning. In the midst of darkness, will you in this series, will I in this series, Make a commitment to come back and to be honest with the Lord and say, here's what I'm struggling with. Here is the darkness. Here's the things that I can't even fully explain. And allow this book. Ask the Spirit to do its work in and through this book. It's not just so we learn, you know, just more verses in the Bible, as helpful as that, that can be. But it's, it's meant to, it's living and active. It's going to do a transformative work. And so the question becomes, like, will you actually welcome the light? God is wanting to shine the light of the glorious good news, the gospel into your heart, into your life, into my life. And sometimes we have a posture of, I wanna receive that. And sometimes we can be like, I'm not, I don't want that. There's a rebellion. I love the way that C.S. Lewis speaks of it because at the end of the day, it said, God will shine his light. The gospel will advance. And the question is, well, is, is it gonna be stopped? That's not the question. It's like the gospel is advancing. The light is advancing. It's pushing back the kingdom of darkness. And the question becomes, will you and I submit to it? Will we actually bring our darkness, our pain, all, all of that? Or will we have this response that Lewis referenced in the problem of pain as he's, He's literally wrestling with just the pain and the brokenness in this world. He says, a man can no more diminish God's glory. So you can't diminish God's glory, he says, by refusing to worship him than a lunatic can put out the sun by scribbling the word darkness on the walls of his cell. And so our calling this morning then is to recognize like God is gonna get his glory and we get to experience his great presence and the question is like, hey, are you going to be like the lunatic there? Just like, no, 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 God's not gonna get it or are we gonna actually submit? And so this morning, we're gonna be in 2 Corinthians chapter one. I've got two verses um, to get through this, this morning, all right? So we got like 30 minutes on each verse. It's gonna be awesome. So settle in. In all seriousness though, 2 Corinthians chapter one, I want you to have this in front of you, all right? And so a couple things that you can do. You can brought a Bible, turn there. If you didn't, you can get a paperback Bible on the back table there and turn to page 1066. If you don't own a Bible, would, would you do me a favor? Like take that one home with you. If you've got one in some translation that's difficult to make sense of, um, grab that, take it. We want you to be able to study this. Pick up a, uh, a study guide that we have out in the connections area on this book as well. Or you can go to cpwp.life, swipe over the second card, it says message notes. And what is on the screen this morning, the text that we're in will all be there. So I'm gonna read these two verses this morning, and then we'll unpack this a bit and see what's this letter all about. Um, these opening verses, sometimes we can kind of skip past and be like, okay, yeah, this is just kind of the introduction. Let's get to the good stuff. But the good stuff is here. 
there's some really powerful things if we would just stop and rest for a moment. I believe God wants to encourage us this morning. So as I read this, would you go ahead and stand? Let me read 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the first two verses. It says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's word. You may be seated. So let's just do this from him. I told you, this book, I mean, the whole Bible, right? It's ultimately, it's not just a story. It includes us, but it's ultimately, it's a story about God and his purposes and him getting his glory and then us finding joy as we connect to that story. And so it's first and foremost God, and then it does include us, certainly. But even this morning, we're gonna see just in these couple of verses, I want us to pay attention to what we see in here. We'll start out with just looking at, like, we've got God's will, and then we've got God's church, and we've got God's ways. So we're just gonna look at that for just a moment, kind of help orient us to this book. There's a lot of details details about like why Paul wrote this because there's a first Corinthians if you didn't know that all right so there's a first Corinthians second Corinthians is what we're going to be studying like why does he have to write a second letter in all reality this is actually the third letter there's one that we no longer have that Paul will make reference to in this and so he's got this great concern for this group of people but I want us to see this, that this word that was given a couple thousand years ago to a very specific context with people with very specific needs the same truth that they needed to hear is what I need to hear and the way you need to hear and we collectively need to hear and we need to have our hearts refocused around like who God is and how he's at work and the light that, that he's bringing amidst the darkness and the, and the pain and the confusion that can exist. And I don't mean that as just some sort of like quick, you know, like it's just this uh, scheme that's gonna fix things real quickly. You just hit this button and the light of the gospel shines and everything's things better. But rather there is this invitation to, to press in um, and to bring things to the Lord and to, to cry out. And we're gonna see that here in the Apostle Paul and just his disposition. A very pastoral book here. Um, and he gets cranked up, he gets, he gets fired up at some points, we'll, we'll see that. There's things that we'll get into that uh, we can go into a deeper dive later on about like why he's writing to certain, certain ways and certain things and things that he's, he's responding to about what's going on in Corinth. But for this morning, let's just look at how this starts. And the very first word, right, it just says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So I want us to be encouraged in this. Like we can skip over this. It's Paul's way of identifying like, hey, I'm writing you this letter. All right, so at one level, it's very basic. All right, but know this. Like we should always just be in awe of the fact, for one, that Paul is the one who's actually writing this. Because if you study church history, what you know, like if you were to get out the book of Acts and you begin to read through the story of the early church, you know Paul would have been the one you know, voted most you know, uh, unlikely to be a follower of Jesus, right? He wanted nothing to do with Jesus. He wanted nothing to do with the church. He was on a mission to make sure the church died. He was seeing, overseeing the death of martyrs like Stephen that we read about, all right? And yet, God, because of his will, his plan, his sovereign plan from before all time, before time even began, he had a plan, all right? And I wanna encourage you in this, like, there's a darkness that we experience. Paul didn't know it. He thought he was in the light. He thought he had this enlightenment, this illumination, all of that, but he really was in the dark. And the light of the world, Jesus had to show up and literally knock Paul on his backside and say, listen, pay attention. I've got work for you to do. I need you to be part of my story. And the fact that God can use a man like Paul should be an immense encouragement to all of us. Like with the brokenness and the darkness, like God doesn't look at people and say, okay, the light's been shining long enough. It's getting pretty bright in their, their life. Okay, now it's time for me to use them. 
he tends to like to work with those that are like, we're sometimes we're even just blind to our own darkness. He's just like, I'm gonna pick that guy, I'm gonna pick that woman, I'm gonna work through them, why? So he can showcase his strength, his power, that he would get the glory, that there's nothing in this that's like, oh, look at me, look what I did. I mean, Paul's story is one of just immense grace. Acts 9 records this, right? As we talk about like the light of the gospel. In this case, like it just showed up in person, right? So Paul is on his way. He's traveling. Maybe you're familiar with this story to enact plans to continue to make sure that the church would, would die, that it wouldn't continue. It says, now as he went on his way, this is Acts 9, 3 to 5, he approached Damascus and suddenly what? A light from heaven. So the light of the gospel, like Jesus himself shown around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, right? So at this point in the story, Paul is referred to as Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Imagine that voice, right? Paul's thinking he's doing the Lord's work and he gets this, suddenly there's this bright light, suddenly there's this voice from heaven that says, Saul, Saul, it's like, pay attention. Why are you persecuting me? And he's like, it's a valid question. Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Jesus had to show up and shine the light of the gospel and say, Paul, this is where life is found, not in what you're doing. You need to completely turn, do a 180. You need to repent. That's what repentance is. And you need to submit your life to me. You're living in darkness. And there's this great invitation. And I love the way Paul reflects on his story. Just be encouraged in this. The apostle Paul never got over he was always astonished. He always marveled at the grace of God. He was amazed by it. Let me ask you, are, are you, if you're here this morning as a Christian, are you marveling at that? Are you astonished by the fact that the God of the universe would like pluck you out of darkness to bring the light of the gospel into your life that he's shown the, into your heart, that he cared enough for you, that he sent his son Jesus for you? When I'm in those places of, of darkness and discouragement, like, I gotta run back to that. I gotta remember that that's the story. I've been brought from darkness into light. But sometimes the darkness is our more familiar place, right? It's sometimes we, something we get used to, and so we tend to still kind of gravitate that way, to run back to that. And the Lord and his kindness and his grace, his mercy toward us, continually, I'm gonna shine the light in. I'm gonna invite you. I'm gonna woo you. Look at the way Paul tells, he's writing this to his, his protege, he's writing to a, one that he's mentoring is this man, Timothy, who's here with him as he's writing this letter he made reference to in, in verse one as well, Timothy, our brother. In 1 Timothy chapter one, it's a little bit of a lengthy section here, but just look at how Paul describes as he reflects on his story. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, he says, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. It's no wonder Paul marveled at the grace of God. He's like, I got no business being with King Jesus. And yet his love, his grace was like overflowing towards me. He says, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience and his example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To so the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever, amen. Like, listen, that's not the end of 
1 Timothy, right? He's just getting started. We're in the first chapter here, but he has to have this moment of just like, he's reflecting on his story, and you know what happens there? It's doxology. It's worship. Paul's penning this word. He's trying to encourage Timothy. He's trying to say, hey, remember your story. And as he thinks back on that day when he was knocked onto his backside and the light of the gospel like called out to him and Jesus said, hey, why are you persecuting me? Paul's thinking back to that. And he also has not only Timothy in mind, but he has you and me and generations of Christians in mind here. He says that it might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him. Have you believed in Jesus for eternal life? Then this word is being written, not just for Timothy, but for us here this morning. And it's meant to lead to this doxology, to this worship. And so he just breaks into song, really, to the king of kings, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Like there's this joy. Now, here's what I need just to hear. The story of Paul, if you've studied the scriptures, you would, you would know this. As we see in 2 Corinthians, if you're new to the scriptures, we're going to see it throughout 2 Corinthians. So I'm so glad that, that you're here. I want to encourage you to be back. Keep studying this. That though Paul is worshiping, that doesn't mean he met Jesus and suddenly he just had easy street. His life was easy. Everything was harmonious and beautiful. And he just made plans and they went, everything went according to plan. No. The story of Paul is one of immense discouragement as he wrestles with things internally. Like, go read Romans 7, but also external things, things that were happening to him. Imagine this. You're going to see his heart for this group of people. It's a church that he helped start, right? But God used him. He's ministering to, to the, these people. And now there's a whole group of them that are, that are turning against Paul. And yet he continues to love them. He continues to minister to them, even though there's been tremendous hardship in his life. There's even some that are calling into question. We'll learn this more in detail later in the book. But what I'm about to read to you, some were even using against Paul, saying if you were a true follower of God, if you were really a legit apostle, all right, you wouldn't have all these terrible things happening to you. Like, you should have a more impressive life and resume. Like, we're starting to doubt you because of these things that have happened. God's favor must not be resting upon you. That's how confused this church is. So look, here's a brief description of it. Paul says this. Five times. He's just describing what his life has been like since he met Jesus. A lot of joy, a lot of worship, and a lot of hardship. For five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. Like, can we just stop and like realize every single one of these things so far, I man, I'm kind of just reading through it and blowing past it. They're awful. These are terrible things, right? To be beaten, whipped, hit with rods, his back literally ripped apart, the flesh would have been torn out. This is not just like grabbing a belt out of the closet as bad as that might be. I mean, this is these pieces of leather with rock and stone and bones in there and that would literally cut into and they would rip out hunks of flesh. I mean, that's what Paul endured, all right? Some of you are like, oh, I love the beach. Would you like to be shipwrecked floating out at sea for a night and a day, right? I mean, this is his life, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, and danger from Gentiles, danger in the city. And he's like, oh, maybe you know, I'll get out to the suburbs. It's safer out there, out into the, out into the, uh, the countryside. Danger, nope, danger in the wilderness. Danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship through many a sleepless night. In hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. 
which I wonder if he's just saying like, above all this, I gotta put up with church people. I wonder if that's what he's saying, right? Like, hey, and I include myself in that, okay? So it's just like, he's got this constant anxiety. There's all these things. He's letting people down. He's disappointing people. There's people that think he should be doing things differently. And Paul could be overwhelmed. And he is at times. And we see that in this letter. And yet, light of the gospel. And he keeps coming back to that. So I want you to see that as we go through this. Remember who's writing this? That ultimately it's God's letter to us, but it's through his servant Paul, this apostle, who could worship God, who is so mesmerized and enthralled with the story of God's grace in his life, and yet at the same time dealt with tremendous hardship and real pain and real suffering and a real darkness. And we're gonna see over and over one that's it's sort of like this, this you know, uh, mentor that we have from long ago that's gonna say, hey, when you encounter similar things, and if your list might look a little different than Paul's, it probably will, but there's gonna be things that we can look and say, how did he apply the light of the gospel to that moment of darkness? We're gonna see that over and over and over again. And so God's will was to raise up Paul. But we also have in that, that it's God's church, to the church of God that is at Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. To the church of God. Now, Paul was used to start the church in Corinth, right? You can go read about that in Acts and that Paul's second missionary journey. It's fascinating, all right? A beautiful account. I would encourage you to go and read that. But this, ultimately, it's God's church. And that's been the case for every local church community that's ever popped up on the face of the earth. From the smallest gathering in a home to the largest megachurch and everything in between, it all belongs to God. Jesus is the head of the church. Not the pastors, elders, members of the church, any of that, right? It's God's church. And we have a role to play in that. We'll talk about that more in a moment. But just realize he's writing. It's like, let's remember this is God's church. And God is gonna do his work to shine the light of the gospel. Now, what I'm encouraged by in this as well, we learned a little bit of Paul's story and how God loves to showcase his grace, his power. When he takes, he kind of plucks out like, hey, this guy's persecuting the church. Cool, I'll go make him a pastor. Corinth would have also been the place, if you know anything about this city, all right, it would have been the place that would have been, all right, that's the least likely place to see a movement of God occur. You had Rome, you had Alexandria, but then you also had like Corinth, and it was this booming port city, all right? It was young, it was entrepreneurial, all right? It had at one point this, this great kind of history for hundreds of years, and then in 146 BC, it was like leveled by the Romans, and for about 100 years, it sat in ruins. But in 46 BC, the Caesar came and, and began to rebuild it, and now you had people that had gotten too crowded in Rome, and people were like, ooh, there's some cool things happening in Corinth, and so all these people began to flood into the city, all right? It's not unlike where we live here, right? Where more people are moving into Florida and Orlando than almost any place in the country, right? Like Corinth has just experienced this influx of people. So there's this, there's a lack of rootedness. There's people trying to make their, their way. There's opportunity. They're seizing that. It's like I said, it was this, all sort of trade routes and travel routes went right through there. Literally because it was dangerous to sail around this peninsula where Corinth was located. If you go and look at a map, there's this tiny strip of land and those that were captaining ships would literally pull in the port and then they would, with a group of people, they would drag the ship across this port of land, spot of land to get to the other side. All of that went through Corinth. 
And so you can imagine the economy is booming. There's people coming in. No one's got any sort of history or ties there. All right, there's all this fervor and there's this energy. And yet with that, as you can imagine, there's a licentiousness. There's a lot of people highly skilled at breaking a lot of commandments is basically what was happening in Corinth. And it's in that place that the Lord Jesus says, hey, I'm gonna go start a church there. And I'm gonna use this guy, Paul, who used to wanna have the church die. I'm gonna send him to go and do this. In that time and place, all right, there's actually a phrase, like here's how bad Corinth is, all right, that the people in the known world at the time would look at Corinth, and if you were doing something particularly, all right, not that people had a lot of morals or scruples in that, some of those places, but even in the most licentious places, they'd be like, oh, you're living like a Corinthian. Like that was this sort of like, oh, if you've just taken it to a whole new level, all right, of just what you're engaged in, that was the kind of phrase that would be used. That's how wicked and immoral in many ways uh, Corinth was. History would tell us that to, there was a gigantic temple about 1,800 feet up above the town, all right, that was conducted, to, uh, that was constructed to Aphrodite, all right, this goddess of love. And so it was a very pagan culture, but also engaged in all sorts of religious cultic behavior. The history would tell us that over a thousand priestesses were part of that temple, which functionally means there was a, over a thousand prostitutes that would engage in all sorts of, in the name of like worshiping that God. There was just a level of debauchery and sin that was present. That's why this phrase came up, to live like a Corinthian. And yet what happens? The gospel goes forward. People meet Jesus. The light of the gospel shines in the places of darkness. Like be encouraged in this. God uses Paul, God uses Corinth. Now listen, that doesn't mean that just like that they met Jesus and sort of all the aspects of Corinthian influence, the culture that they were part of just suddenly got eradicated and they were perfectly holy and sanctified. That wasn't the case. Like here's a quick recap for a moment. Let me just share with you a few of the issues in the preceding letter. In 1 Corinthians, all right, Paul's having to write because he's helped start the church. He ministered deeply to them. That's what Acts 18, I love this, tells us. The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent. He's talking about it in Corinth. For I am with you. No one will attack you to harm you. And look at this phrase that the Lord uses. For I have many in this city who are my people. The Lord had plans. He had elected some. He's just like, listen, there's people that I know still haven't met me, encountered me. The light hasn't shown in their life. You gotta stay, you gotta preach the gospel, you gotta be faithful, I am with you, but I've got people in this city of Corinth. No one would have thought that. It would have been a ridiculous plan, but our God is into ridiculous plans, right? He's like, oh, cool, I'm gonna work through Paul in a place like Corinth. I got people in that city and it tells us that Paul stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. That's what we do. We're talking about making disciples last week, right? Like, how do we do it? The faithful proclamation of the word of God by the people of God, persevering in prayer, right? Talking about these things. This is what Paul did. This is what we're called to do. And yet it's gonna be a challenge. And we're gonna see that. So here's some of the issues that plagued we, the, the people of Corinth, their church, all right? We learn these things in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians is gonna have its whole new list. But just so you don't think for a moment, like these churches in the, you know, that we see in the Bible, oh, if we could just get back. Sometimes there's this notion, right? Can we just be like the, the early church, the New Testament church? Well, what things are we actually referring to with that? There's a lot of good, all right? But I also, look at these lists. Here's the top 10 things, all right, um, that were going on in Corinth. They were deeply divided trying to pick their favorite celebrity pastor. That doesn't sound altogether healthy, right? 
I'm with Cephas, I'm with Apollos, I'm with, with Paul. They were tolerating a guy, there's a guy in their church who was sleeping with his stepmother. And they're like, eh, no big deal, you do you, right? No, like that's what was happening. They were suing one another over relational conflicts. Show up for Bible study, a little community group, and realize that two people in there are, have, are suing each other. Like, this is kind of a dysfunctional church. Can we at least admit that? And I find encouragement in that, all right? They were hooking up with prostitutes, all in the name of, of worship, all right? They were confused about singleness, marriage, divorce, and remarriage. They didn't care to set an example for new Christians. They were worshiping false idols. It got so bad that there were some that were getting drunk during communion, Right? Oh man, you look a little hungover. Late partying last night? What's going on? No man, I was at church, communion, right? It was crazy. I mean like what kind of world, what kind of church community is this? They were beating each other up with their spiritual gifts. Like, oh, you haven't spoken in tongues? You haven't done this healing? Oh, well you must be a subpar. You might not even be a real believer. They were doubting ultimately if Jesus was really raised from the dead. All kinds of dysfunction. And yet Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, Jesus still has plans for Corinth. Jesus still has plans for his church in our context, in this time, and in this place. All right, We could have our own list of things that plague us and this church and the church in the, the West and all the things that, that we face. And God still looks at us because the finished work of Jesus. And know this. Did you notice the language Paul says to the church of God that is at Corinth with all the what? With all the saints. It's like, Paul, what in the world is happening? How can you call this group of people saints? That's not very saintly behavior. The idea here is like the set apart, holy. Unless you actually understand the gospel. Unless you understand that God has brought them from darkness into light. Not because they cleaned themselves up, that they pulled themselves up by their bootstraps. Not because the, the storyline really is, well, there are bad people and there are good people and try and be you know, more like the good people. There are no good people except for Jesus. We're all bad. Paul understood that. I'm a chief of sinners. And so he goes into a place like Corinth. He's like, oh, are you messed up? You're broken? Yeah. You got darkness? Yeah, so, so do I. I continue to struggle with that. But I've met Jesus, and he gives us his light. He gives us his life. He gives us his holiness. And because of that, when Paul writes now, this letter, still with work to do, still with trials, still with issues, he calls them saints. And so as we think about our mission as a church, I want to encourage you in this. If you're a follower of Jesus... Regardless of what would be on your list of hangups, your list of things that you still wrestle through, the sins that you thought you would have put to death, right? you're like, yeah, 2019 was gonna be the year, except it kind of just carried over into 2020. Whatever it happens to be, know this, that when, God, when the God of the universe looks at you, if you're in Christ, if the light of the gospel is shown in your life, saint, set apart, holy, that's how he views you. That's really good news. And we get to tell a hurting world that. And so my question for us is this. Will you and I then live into that calling? Second Corinthians is gonna help us do that. Like, yes, we wrestle through our own darkness, our own pain, confusion, all of that. But we also step back and remember, oh, we've been set apart. We are, we are saints, not in a self-righteous sort of way, but in the, no, we have Jesus' righteousness. Praise God for that. We worship him. And now we are people that are sent out to make disciples? Will we live into that calling? Will that fuel us? Will that motivate us? I love these words from John Stott. He's, he's talking about, I'm gonna put them up on the screen in a moment, but he's talking about ambition. And he's like, all right, we can be ambitious to self. And he's like, it's sort of whatever about that. But he's like, we're probably not ambitious enough when it comes to the purposes of God and his kingdom. What would it look like for us as a church to lean into and to live out this calling? You're a saint. 
the light of the gospel has shown in your life. Stott says it this way. He says, ambitions for self may be quite modest, but ambitions for God, he says, however, if they are to be worthy, can never be modest. There is something inherently inappropriate about cherishing, cherishing small ambitions for God. How can we ever be content that he should acquire just a little more honor in the world? No. Once we are clear that God is king, then we long to see him crowned with glory and honor and accorded his true place, which is the supreme place. We become ambitious for the spread of his kingdom and righteousness everywhere. Paul's writing this, why? Because he's been captivated by this vision of what ambition would look like directed towards God, his purpose as God getting his glory. And in that knowing, that's where joy is actually found. Are you experiencing the joy of the gospel? It's found in living out of this, this reality, this, this awareness that you've been set apart, that you are saint because of the finished work of Jesus. And so we'll close with this, that this book also introduces us not only of God's will and God's church, a reminder of that, that the church in Corinth belonged to God, the church here in Winter Park, in this gymnasium belongs to God, it all belongs to God, and that God's ways are seemingly paradoxical, they're upside down, they're counterintuitive, however you wanna frame that or phrase that. There's a way that God works. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That one of the things we're gonna see, and this kind of just gives us a preview of what's to come, be encouraged in this. God works in ways that are mysterious to us. They, they are upside down. Look at the way Paul would describe just his life and the life of the church, of followers of Jesus. He says this in chapter six, which we will look at more in depth in the weeks ahead, but he says this, we're treated as imposters and yet are true. Imposters yet are true. As unknown and yet well-known. As dying and behold what? We live. As punished and yet not killed. As sorrowful yet always rejoicing as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing everything. There's a way that things work in God's kingdom that is counterintuitive, that doesn't make sense to us, that we find comfort in our affliction and suffering. We'll see some of that more next week. It's like, what kind of story are we part of here? When the light of the gospel shines in the darkness of your heart and my heart and into our lives, into our community, we start to realize, oh, God takes these things that we thought we never would have planned, we never would have intended, we would have been like, that's a bad idea, and what does he begin to do? It's like, ah, oh, I'm gonna showcase for you what it looks like to experience true grace and true peace through these hardships because they cause us to cling to him, to run to him, that we can actually experience sorrow and yet be rejoicing, that these words can be true for us, like you know, poor and yet making many rich is having nothing and yet possessing everything. If you've had the light of the gospel shine in your life, you literally, I literally lack for nothing. Scripture is telling us you possess everything, all the riches, all the inheritance. You're part of God's redemptive movement. And that doesn't mean we don't long for things to be better, that we don't work at things here. But there's an upside down way that God works. And we're going to see that throughout this book. And so Paul greets him and he says, grace to you and peace. The story of grace like that's, that's God's ways. I mean, that is so counterintuitive, unmerited favor. We are people of merit. 
It's kind of the American way. Like we earn, we achieve, we do this, we set goals, we, we expand, all right? Like we've got the, this sort of ambition about us. And yet if we're trying to make ourselves right with God, none of that actually matters. It actually just perpetuates the problem. And so Paul speaks to them a word that he needs to speak to us here this morning. That God's ways, it's, it's, it's the way of grace. It's the way of submitting, I, I can't do it. And what does that lead to? It actually leads to peace. That that's how God's kingdom works. And so 2 Corinthians 12, looking towards the end of the book, Paul would say this, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul's wrestling, he's struggling, he's pleading with the Lord, like take this thorn in my flesh away. He's, he's asking for things to be different in his life. And then he comes to this moment and he says, all right, I heard this from the Lord. My grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses. I'm content with insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For what? For when I am weak, then I am strong. Do you feel weak this morning? Have you felt weak in the, the, the past few days? Or do you anticipate what's coming up? there a darkness there? Remember this, that the Lord loves to. His way is to showcase his strength, to cause us to cling to him more, to rally a community together to say, I am so weak and I am so broken and I feel like I'm barely hanging on, but the Lord shows me his grace is sufficient. And the ultimate story of upside down of what appeared to be a way of weakness, isn't it the cross? As we see what Jesus did for us, the one who never should have been punished, the one who never did anything deserving of judgment. I'm the only one that's done that, and you, right? We're like the life we should have been punished for, Jesus is punished in our place, and it looks like the enemy has won. It looks like God didn't have enough strength, that God didn't have enough power, that he didn't have enough might to do it. And the way of the cross, the sort of cruciform life, what is what? It's Jesus going and willingly being stripped naked, nailed to a cross, and breathing out his last breath, why? To get us back, to show us that his kingdom works according to different principles, that everything is turned upside down. That in the cross is where we actually find life. That's our story. That's the kind of people we're invited to be. And Paul is writing to this group of believers in Corinth. And he's like, that's the story we need. And a couple thousand years later, here in the Central Florida community, as we've gathered here this morning, what I need to remember, what I believe you need to remember, is that when I'm weak, then I'm actually strong. When I admit my weakness, when I understand that I can do nothing in my own strength, when I realize that God has rescued me, is redeeming me, has a purpose for my life, in all of that, we go back again and again, the light of the gospel, the cross, we remember what Christ has done for us. And so we're gonna continue in our service. This is just the introduction really to this great book. I hope you'll continue to journey with us, study this. And I wanna just give us a moment to pray. Take some time silently. If you need people to pray for you from now on through the rest of our service, to be members of our prayer team in the back corners. Go and seek them out, ask for them to pray for you. But I'll pray right now and then give us just a moment of, of quiet and ask you just think through what is it that you need to repent of what's the spirit bring where's the spirit bring you conviction then remember the glorious good news of the gospel and we're going to get to rejoice together and i'll give us some instruction on that in just a moment well, let's pray father thank you for your kindness and your grace thank you for using your servant paul to pen this letter so that we could be reminded again and again of how you work 
in and through our brokenness, through the darkness, how you are shining your light into our lives and into this world. And God, there's lots of different stories represented here this morning. There's lots of joys, there's lots of celebrations, and yet there's also lots of heartache and confusion and pain. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would do your work of, of a comforter. And you would also do your work of bringing conviction where we've maybe tried to do things on our own. Would we repent of that? Would we remember the upside down story of the cross that we're invited into? And that we would experience a great strength by admitting our weakness and realizing, God, that you are the one that is strong. And you're simply inviting us to trust you more fully. And so I pray that we would do that. And so um, in these next couple moments of quiet, God, I just pray that you would, you would hear the prayers of your people. You're that good father. This verse, verse two, reminds us of that, that we have been adopted into your family. And so we are, we are your kids and we're crying out and we're asking that, God, you would get your glory and that we would experience a deep and abiding joy. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.